Blog Talk Radio. Show. 
And uh, if you're new to the show, I'm Karen Tate, and um, my guests and I discuss sex, power, politics, religion, with a broad spectrum of uh, visionaries and forward thinkers, women and men, uh, sometimes uh, considered uh, from a divine feminine or right brain point of view. Some might not even realize uh, that they their ideas and values fit comfortably under the goddess umbrella. Some call these ideas and values the feminine consciousness or the shift away from patriarchal domination to manifest that much-needed new normal. These issues uh, are ones that could raise your personal consciousness or save the world. And it's all the stuff mom probably taught you to never discuss at the dinner table. But uh, like I say, fear not, taste that forbidden fruit. Rethink, reclaim, and embrace the age-old knowledge that's been denied us for too long. Let's have our voices heard. Let's stand up and let's change the world. Unlock your transformational toolkit and empower yourself as you learn long-hidden truths from your home altar to the voting booth. And learn what denying the feminine face of God, deity, archetype, or ideal has cost humanity, particularly women. And that's a clue uh, to what I'm going to be sharing with you over the next few shows. Um, I'm going to be sharing with you something written by the late, great Carol Christ, Why Women Need the Goddess. And there are four reasons uh, women need the sacred feminine. And uh, actually the whole world needs these ideas. And every week in March we'll unpack uh, one of the four reasons. But first, uh, today, uh, it is my guilty pleasure as host of the show to be chatting with uh, Carolyn Baker. Uh, She's a professor of psychology and history, a psychotherapist for two decades, and author of 15 books. And she chats with me today about her newest book, co-authored with Andrew Harvey, titled uh, Radical Regeneration, Sacred Activism and the Renewal of the World. Uh, We're going to be discussing the prescription for the planet's restoration and renewal. Um, We'll get her assessment of where we stand today in terms of fixing problems like climate change. if uh, there are alternatives to industrialism and the technology that uh, is destroying the earth and uh, how Americans' uh, natural proclivity for hope and optimism factor into all of this. Um, Can we really save ourselves and the planet? And what blame actually belongs to Donald Trump? Uh, We'll also delve into how negative emotions such as fear, anger, grief can be a good thing and uh, Carol will define sacred activism and how we might return to joy. So we have a lot to chat about. Uh, so uh, let's get to it. Carolyn, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Well, it's great to be here, and thank you so much for having me. Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm so glad to have someone that uh, uh, can answer some of the questions, uh, you know, in the, in the intro there. And um, first, uh, how do you know Andrew uh, Harvey, and um, how did this book, uh, Radical Regeneration, come about? Well, that's a great question. Uh, first of all, um, back in 2009, I published a book, called Sacred Demise, Walking the Spiritual Path of Industrial Civilization's Collapse. And I sent Andrew a copy, and um, I had no, very little idea who he was and no idea what he might do with the book. 
And about a week later, I got a phone call from him, and an hour and a half later, um, we concluded our conversation with him inviting me to be the keynote speaker at the Institute for Sacred Activism in the fall of 2009. And the rest is history. We've been fast friends ever since. And uh, I believe it was in 2016 that we uh, decided to write uh, our first book together called Return to Joy. And then we just kept writing together and we ended up with four books which are now bound in one volume called Radical Regeneration, Sacred Activism, and the Renewal of the World. Well, that's awesome. And it's nice to hear that there can be actual happy and joyous writing collaborations. <laughs> yeah, because um, so, so often uh, there there can't be. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult. I've tried, and uh, you know, uh, sometimes people think uh, cooperation and collaboration means that they get, you know, they get everything their way, and uh, that's not really a collaboration. <laughs> right. Um, right. But uh, so, sacred activism. Um, let's go there since you brought it up. Um, what is sacred sure. activism? Sacred activism is the marriage of spirituality and activism. Uh, we know that if people um, are activists only without any kind of spiritual path, um, the fires of activism often consume them because they don't have the inner resources to sustain, them, sustain themselves emotionally and spiritually. On the other hand, if one is only on their spiritual path and they're not engaged in any kind of activism, then they really become isolated in the world. They end up, you know, uh, having their heads in the sand and not having a full picture of reality. So um, I am so grateful to Andrew Harvey for writing a wonderful book, uh, um, I can't remember how many years ago, called The Hope a guide to sacred activism in which he spells this out much more completely than I'm describing it. Right, I, I get it. Well, the first thing that pops into my mind, you know, I'm, I'm not an atheist or an agnostic, but I can imagine one of them would say, um, well, you know, we don't have to, uh, you know, our, our activism doesn't have to be sacred. Um, I mean, what would you say to that? Well, no, activism doesn't have to be sacred, but if you want to look at the source of our problems right now, which we call the dark night of the globe, it's because we have lost connection with ourselves, with each other, and with the earth. Those are all spiritual issues as far as I'm concerned, um, because... Yeah. They, they are not issues that can just be solved on the human le level. We have to rely on and turn to something greater than the rational mind and the human ego. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would agree. Um, you know, but I, I can't shake this, um, uh, this um, 
panel discussion I saw recently between, uh, you know, atheists and uh, people who were religious, and uh, you know, the atheists atheists were adamant that um, you know their morality, their activism, um, you know, they. I, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. You know, uh, sure, you know, sure. they would say they they could do all the things that the religious people were motivated and inspired to do by religion, but without religion, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess that's well, the, the, the age-old discussion, though, right? Well, let's be clear. Um, when we talk about spirituality, we talk about sacred activism. We're not talking about religion. We're just talking about um, who we are as human beings. We're talking about an identity that is greater than just the rational mind and the human ego. We're talking about a deep connection with ourselves, with each other, with the earth, um, as, for example, indigenous people have envisioned it for thousands of years. It has nothing to do with religion. Right, right. Yeah, I, I get it. And thank you for elaborating uh, a bit more. And, um, uh, well, you know, in your book, you know, uh, you and uh, Andrew talk about, um, you know, your belief that you, the human race and the planet are racing toward destruction. I mean, I don't think you'd get a lot of pushback on that. Um, but are there specific things that uh, jump out at you that um, – that make you believe that? Well, uh, certainly. And I could name a lot of problems and a lot of crises, but most recently scientists have begun talking about something called the poly crisis, uh, meaning a number of crises that connect with each other that make the whole uh, perspective um, far worse than if you address each crisis separately because, you know, it becomes an energy field of destruction. And so we're looking at that and we're realizing we're not talking about individual problems here. A problem is something that can be solved. What we are facing is a predicament, a constellation of problems Um, that we can only respond to. They aren't exactly solvable. We can only respond to them. So Andrew's work and my work is about how do we live our lives in response to our global predicament? And that's what radical regeneration is all about. Who do I want to be and what do I want to do in the face of the polycrisis? Well, you know, um, my thought is uh, that that's huge, you know, uh, that's monumental. Uh, I mean, I think it's uh, maybe even, you know, it's calling on people to, um, you know, pull, out, pull their better angels out of their back pocket. And um, so much of what we see in the world today, um, you know, this, this uh, race, you know, toward authoritarianism, uh, domination, uh, exploitation, greed. Um, you know, I think you're talking about uh, things that would benefit the common good, uh, but there's so many people out there that don't really have the interest of the common good, including like the end of the worlders, you know, who uh, 
um, you know, would like to see the end come because they think they're going to meet Jesus. Um, do you think there are I enough of think, us? I don't think this is um, a huge problem in the sense that one person has to take on the world or a group of people have to take on the world. Go back to the questions I just asked. Who do I want to be and what did I come here to do in the face of this global dark night? So it's about going inward and looking at my emotions that I have about this crisis and dealing with those. Uh, It's about becoming more uh, deeply human than I already am. And then it's about what do I want to do with this awareness? You know, maybe it's just uh, taking care of some little patch of ground near me. Uh, Maybe it's over here just doing a little bit of something for children or a little bit of something for the homeless or, you know, God knows there are like millions of causes that we can get involved with in some way. So one of the things that's so demoralizing and causes people to live in denial and stay there is that we've bought into this belief that we all have to do something spectacular. If we just get 20 million people to do this, that, and the other thing, we can solve the problem. No. What we need to do is right in our own little world, after we do as long alongside the inner work that we need to do, is then what is my role? What am I called to do as a result of the inner work and the compassion that I have for the rest of humanity? So I I think what I'm hearing you say is don't become overwhelmed by uh, the people who aren't working in the same way that you're calling on uh, the maybe socially conscious people to, uh, you know, to do because because there may be a lost cause and they're not going to maybe come around anyway. Yeah. And, um, you know, everybody has their own path and. Uh, no, I don't like to see that kind of denial, that kind of apathy, but um, their, their, their path is really kind of none of my business. All I can do is mm-hmm. reach out to them and do the work that I came here to do and do my inner work, and that is why we wrote Radical Regeneration. Right. Well, you you also write in the book about uh, industrialism and technology uh, or playing their part in uh, destroying the earth. Um, is there uh, an antidote to to that? Well, uh, industrial civilization, which has been with us for you know about approximately more or less the last five hundred years. Um, has one fundamental uh, assumption, and that is that we can have infinite growth on a finite planet. And that is absolutely no longer possible. To attempt to do that is to destroy the planet. And that is what we are seeing now. What we are writing about is not every everybody goes back to farming and you get rid of all your technology and you become a Luddite. We're not talking about any of that. We are talking about 
again, doing the inner work that we need to do to live in harmony and in resonance with the planet. And so that looks like something different usually for every person. And it really comes down to the worship of of commuter, uh, consumerism is the word I'm searching for, Uh, consumerism and the accumulation of more stuff and the making Mm -hmm. of more stuff in the false assumption that that's going to make me happy and everybody else happy. And we've come to the end of that. That that ship has sailed. Um, That no longer works. And if we continue on that path, um, we will certainly guarantee the destruction of the planet. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, quite a while ago, I, um, I discovered Eric Fromm, a uh, German psychologist, mm-hmm. and I was surprised. I think he was writing, uh, well, he was writing decades ago uh, yes. about uh, the idea of, um, you know, having and being. And, uh, you know, he was talking even before, I, I think, you know, we got to such a bad place about, uh, you know, think about that, you know, are you going to be, you know, is your value what you have uh, or is your value in who you are and uh, what you become, you know, having versus being. And, of course, it's not about, uh, about all the toys you can accumulate. This is truly the sacred feminine because the sacred feminine is about relationship. And where we've come in this patriarchal culture and patriarchal worldview is that everything is about me and my stuff and what I can accumulate. It it has become hyper-individualistic. And so we're disconnected from ourselves, from each other, from the earth. And so radical regeneration is about restoring those relationships. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and it's so good that so many people are talking about this in so many different ways. I mean, Rianne Eisler right. talks about it in terms of partnership, you know, uh, partnerships right. with ourselves and our, um, you know, our intimate others, our community, uh, the globe, the deity, you know, uh, and uh, it's about partnership rather than domination. And you really get to the point where if you look at everything in that perspective, it really kind of clears things up for you you know are we trying to create win-win situations where it's about the we uh, you know rather Mm -hmm. than uh, domination and exploitation where we're you know where it's all about me the selfish I Um, well you know uh, you say something interesting in the book um, that um, you know Americans proclivity toward hope and optimism has led to a can-do spirit and uh, gives people energy to work towards solutions together. But, but then you, uh, I think you also say um, you discourage hope. Did I understand that right? Yeah, well, we need to redefine hope um, because if we don't, then hope and fear travel together. And and so our hope becomes an ego exercise in which 
we say, well, I hope this will happen, and I've got to make it happen, and if it doesn't happen, then I'm a failure, and all of this is a failure. And so we just keep hoping, 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 so that we don't have to feel, uh, you know, any, any darkness, any uh, discomfort. And, and so hope then becomes all about outcome. So radical hope is about, okay, this is what's in front of me to do in my little patch of wherever, and I'm going to do this to the best of my ability. I'm going to serve who I can serve. I'm going to love who I can love. And, you know, I'll look back later at the, the outcome, but the outcome is not my goal. My goal is to follow my calling and do what is mine to do right here, right now, because anything else becomes an ego exercise. Okay. All and right. that's, why people, that. that's why people get so discouraged, you know, is because, again, we think we have to do all of these grandiose things and we have to be super successful um, rather than just paying attention to doing what is right right now uh, because it's the right thing to do. Right. Yeah, that makes sense to me. You know, it's it's uh, uh, about mindful living uh, rather than, uh, I mean, it doesn't mean you can't be goal-oriented, but uh, right. I can see what you mean where if it, uh, if it all hinges on maybe a particular outcome and you don't accomplish that, uh, then everything you've done you feel like it's useless and maybe you just right. stop doing the mindful living, which is so valuable in itself on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely, yes. Okay. Um, uh, Carolyn, I'm going to take a break um, because I want folks to hear from from Joe Carson here. Uh, But but when we come back, um, I I believe in the book you lay a lot of blame on Donald Trump. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about that, you know, where you, uh, you know, where you want to go with that. So uh, that's that's what we'll chat about um, in just a couple minutes. But first, Um, we're going to hear from uh, Joe Carson. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a Gardnerian high priest of the Whitecroft line, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is, and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s, and through the years, only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods, reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Feriferia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. 
I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Feriferia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book quality, hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Feriferia website at feriferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. And let's not forget Laura Perry and her incredible work. The Minoans of ancient Crete, an egalitarian society where women were honored, where the sacred feminine was revered, where peace and prosperity reigned for centuries. Hi, I'm Laura Perry, and I'd love to help bring the ancient Minoans to life for you. Explore Minoan spirituality with my books, Labyrinth and Horns, and Ariadne's Thread. Embrace your creative side with the Minoan Coloring Book. And discover the wonders of divination with the Minoan Tarot. You'll find all these at Amazon and other good online and local bookstores. Find out more on my website, lauraperryauthor.com. Let's not forget the Divine Feminine app. Uh, If you um, upload the Divine Feminine app, uh, you can find out about uh, local and virtual events uh, in your local city. So uh, the Divine Feminine app, uh, check that out as well. It's been around since 2016, and it helps us uh, connect with people um, of like mind, of people that can be part of our tribe, and, uh, you know, maybe you'll make some friends that uh, you didn't even know live down the block or in your neighborhood. So the Divine Feminine app, be sure you check that out. So I'm uh, chatting with Carolyn Baker, and uh, we're talking about the book she co-authored with Andrew Harvey, uh, Radical Regeneration, Sacred Activism, and the Renewal of the World. So Carolyn, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the blame you both lay uh, at the feet of Donald Trump. Um, If you would elaborate on that a bit. Well, I think it's important to to rephrase that a bit. It's not about blaming Donald Trump. He is only a symptom of a consciousness of of disconnection with ourselves, with each other, and with the earth. And you know, our our American society certainly, uh, and I would argue industrial civilization in general you know, has, has really been decompensating in recent years um, regarding critical thinking, uh, regarding our ability to, to really see clearly and analyze. And so Trump has become an archetype. He's become a, a symbol of, of authoritarianism. And, you know, democracy is messy. It's slow. It takes time. It takes a lot of energy. And when we don't want to think critically, we don't want to take responsibility for our lives, it's much easier to delegate all that to some guy, it's usually a guy, um, who says he's going to make our world wonderful and do this and do that for us. 
and we can just kind of abdicate our responsibility to that person, uh, that person who's very seductive in lots of ways, um, and and can make us believe that all of the troubles in our world are the result of democratic liberalism or liberal democracy, and um, and so we we delegate to him the leadership, and and you know. He may or may not be nominated for the 2024 Republican presidential candidacy. However, there are plenty of people around who share his views, who have the same uh, moral compass or lack thereof, who be glad to, to run for president. And so now we have fascism, authoritarianism, as a worldwide movement. And I believe that the United States is hanging by its fingernails over the edge of the cliff of democracy. And um, we must make as part of our sacred activism our resistance to fascism and our commitment to creating just and humane societies of, de- of, of freedom and de- democracy. Um, and so this is way bigger at this point than Donald Trump. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think if, you know, if people use critical thinking, and I think, unfortunately, uh, so many have not learned to do that in, um, you know, in public education anymore, uh, I, I mean, I remember Sarah Palin, when she came out, uh, it struck me that, um, you know, people were almost uh, wearing anti-intellectualism as a badge of honor, you know. Yes. Um, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's sad, really, um, you know, when, when you think about, uh, you know, this, this lack of critical thinking. But, um, I, I mean, I look at Putin. And here Putin is this autocrat in, in a rich country like Russia. But we see what happens when an autocrat takes over a country. Um, you yes. know, the greed of all the cronies and the corruption. Um, I think he was probably shocked himself when his army, uh, you know, his military was so um, incapable of fighting Ukraine because they had um, – uh, you know the the money that was supposed to be going, I guess, to the military instead went into the pockets of these crony autocrats, and uh, right. we we saw so much of that cronyism uh, just in the short time Trump was in office. So uh, you right. can imagine what authoritarianism would do to the United States um, with so much available money from all of the tax dollars of the little people, you know, as opposed to the corporations. Um, I mean, we can and the billions see it of be, dollars, yeah, the billions of dollars in the pockets of Republican donors, very, very wealthy Republican donors. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and 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 it disturbs me too that so many of these people would be happy to, you know, turn the country into uh, an authoritarian theocracy. Yes. You know, um, yes, and uh, you know what what would happen to women? 
Uh, I mean, I'm doing a book group right now uh, on the chalice and the blade that Rianne Eisler wrote um, about, you know, prehistory versus, you know, what happened after the Neolithic and uh, domination takes hold. And, you know, whenever we have domination, uh, that's when women uh, lose their rights. And, um, uh, you know, we can see it with, you know, in, in just small ways. Uh, you know, the Supreme Court taking away Roe v. Wade. Now they're talking about taking away uh, that drug that women would use to, um, right. uh, you know, to treat themselves for miscarriages. Um, it's really right. a scary time when, when you think about, um, uh, you know, the road that some of these people uh, who want to be in power would take us down, uh, in, you know, for their own you know, for their own benefit. But, uh, but again, um, you know, you, you guys talk in the book, um, you know, it's a heady book, uh, but uh, you also describe it as uh, heartfelt. Uh, how did you strike yes. that balance? Well, I think you, the answer to that question is in who we are as authors. Um, Andrew is very much a mystic. Um, he's a, a scholar of Rumi. He's written over 30 books and various aspects of mysticism. Um, and I am much more of the, I guess you would say, grounded person in terms of history and psychology and science. And our relationship as friends and writing partners is, is very much a, um, an exchange of those energies. And and so um, this is kind of what we're asking people to consider for themselves if they really want to be sacred activists, if they really want to respond. And as I said earlier, all we can do at this point is respond to the global dark night of the soul, the global dark night crisis, um, is, is to... Um, participate themselves in this kind of marriage um, between the mystical and the grounded um, as we try to exemplify in the book. Well, and you also talk about uh, the negative emotions of uh, fear, anger, grief, despair, um, that they can be a good thing. Um, can you give us some yes. context for that? Absolutely. Um, all of us right now feel some degree of fear about what's happening in the world. And so we have practices. We have a lot of practices in this book uh, regarding how we can address our emotions, ways that we can actually be with our fear and our anger and uh, particularly our grief. It is very important that we acknowledge the losses that have occurred and that we grieve those losses. Why? Because the twin sister of grief is joy. Mary Oliver says, we shake with grief, we shake with joy. What a time these two have housed as they are in the same body. And my experience has been that when people have permission to grieve with support uh, and they, they allow themselves to just go through the grief and, and uh, accept it and do not shame themselves because of it, the other side of that experience 
is joy. And so there are many ways that our emotions can actually serve us as we navigate this crisis. And rather than repress them or send them away or judge them as bad, we need to embrace them and utilize the practices, uh, many of which we have in this book, for doing so. Well, yeah, I think it goes back to that old idea of are we going to be proactive or reactive, right? And, um, you know, I'm thinking again that uh, when the Supreme Court took away Roe v. Wade, I'm sure women across the country felt fear, anger, grief, despair. They channeled it into voting. And uh, we ended up, uh, you know, Democrats ended up winning the midterms when everybody Mm -hmm. talked about the red wave. Uh, You know, uh, a lot of people put that uh, that success uh, laid that at the feet of women who were responding, uh, you know, to what had been taken away from them. And that is a beautiful example of sacred activism because... Uh, when we allow ourselves to be with those emotions, fear, anger, grief, whatever, and then we go out and do something about it, uh, results happen. You know, um, good things happen, as we did see in the 2020 elections. And so this is what we have to keep doing. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, in order to, you know, to save democracy, to not slip into authoritarianism and, uh, you know, women being relegated uh, to be barefoot uh, breeders uh, in the kitchen as uh, we once were, uh, you know, I I really think so much of this, uh, you know, depends on, uh, you know, women standing up and just not tolerating, you know, going backwards. Um, Absolutely. So tell me a little, tell me a little bit about this. Um, you guys redefining the word elder. Mhm. Um, well, we are LGBTQ elders. We are gay elders, um, and an elder is not an older. <laughs> there are many olders who are not elders. Um, elderhood has nothing to do with chronological age. It has to do with wisdom. It has to do with a willingness to see and say what is and to do that inner work and that outer work that we're talking about in the book. Um, I've seen many people in their 20s and 30s who are elders, who are wise beyond their years, and they're willing to do that work. And, of course, we all know people in their 70s and 80s and beyond who have no interest in uh, doing any of that work. So, you know, uh, an older is not an elder. Good point. Good point. Uh, wise leadership, uh, you know, maybe mm-hmm. be a, might be a, a good, way, uh, good way to put that. But uh, I'm, I'm glad you made that distinction. Uh, yeah, I, I really am. You know, so often we talk about, um, you know, the wisdom of uh, women's crone years and, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, but anyway. Um, well, you know, let's end things on a positive note here, Carolyn. Um, uh, one section of your book is called Return to Joy. Um, yes. You know, talk about how we can return to joy. 
Well, I mentioned it a moment ago, one of the ways we can return to joy is to give ourselves permission to grieve and to do that with support and to hold the tension of opposites, meaning that on the one hand, we have this global dark night and all of the problems that go with it. On the other hand, I woke up this morning, I was able to breathe, I was able to get out of bed, uh, I was able to have my morning coffee or tea, I can see, hear, feel, taste, touch, smell, um, I have meaningful people in my life, I have love in my life, I have work to do, and the world is burning. And I have all this beauty in my life. And holding that tension in our bodies throughout the day and going back and forth, sometimes we'll feel the darkness, sometimes we'll feel the light, but it's all part of our human experience and our divine experience. Uh, and so this is, this is what we do, and radical regeneration helps us live in this way. I get it. Well, and uh, it, it's like the silver, silver bullet of gratitude, you know. Uh, yes. it, uh, it, it feels like, uh, you know, you're, I, I think you're talking about to see all the things we have to be grateful for, and uh, I think that really does steal us um, and helps us uh, endure uh, the darker stuff. Um, you know, because we, we realize that, uh, um, you, you know, the, the sky is not falling down upon us. Uh, you know, there's, there's an awful lot to be joyful about, an awful lot to be grateful for uh, in spite of the troubles out there. And to know that joy lives at our core. We don't have to do things to make ourselves happy. Joy is living within us. And it's all around us if we'll but look and feel. Okay. Well, um, is there anything else, Carolyn, um, you want to say about the book or the topic we've been discussing that maybe I haven't thought to ask you? Yeah, I'd like to finish with this little quote from Mary Oliver. Okay. It's called, okay. It's called Don't Hesitate. If you are suddenly and unexpectedly feeling joy... Don't hesitate. Give in to it. There are plenty of lives and whole towns destroyed or about to be. We are not wise and not very often kind, and much can never be redeemed. Still, life has some possibility left. Perhaps this is its way of fighting back. That sometimes something happens better than all the riches or power in the world. It could be anything but very likely you notice it in the instant when love begins. Anyway, that's often the case. Anyway, whatever it is, don't be afraid of its plenty. Joy is not made to be a crumb. Nice. Nice. Thank you, Carolyn. And thank you for You're your work welcome. there in the world and uh, for the, uh, the wise leadership that, uh, that you and uh, Andrew, of course, are providing out there uh, as elders in our community that we can look to. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, um, 
hope you enjoyed that, and I'm sure that there was a lot, uh, a lot of wisdom there to glean from um, from Carolyn's um, uh, discussion of the new book. Uh, her and uh, Andrew Harvey just put out uh, Radical Regeneration, uh, Sacred Activism, and the Renewal of the World. Uh, well, I said at the top of the show I had some interesting information to share, particularly for women and our evolved men. Uh, you've maybe heard the idea uh, or even the article itself that the idea came from, uh, that uh, women need the goddess. But uh, have you ever read Carol Chris' article, uh, Why Women Need Goddess? Well, um, there are four reasons, and today I'm going to share what those four reasons are. And in the coming weeks, uh, we're going to delve into one at a time, uh, you know, here at the end of the show. That's why I want you to, um, you know, stick with me after the interview because we're going to be uh, actually talking about, I think, some interesting and important stuff. So uh, Chris proposed that there were four compelling reasons why women might turn to the sacred feminine and uh, incorporate her into um, their lives. Uh, the first is uh, the affirmation and the uh, legitimizing of female power as beneficent. Okay, that's number one. Affirming female power is legitimate and beneficent, that benefits us. Uh, then there's also the affirmation of the female body and its life cycles. Uh, we know that, uh, you know, in patriarchy, um, you know, there's an awful lot of shame, uh, you know, in some corners about uh, the female body and the life cycles. Uh, you know, we've heard that uh, uh, women's menses can, uh, you know, cause a, a blight or a drought uh, or cause uh, uh, crops not to grow. Crazy shit, you know. Um, then there's also uh, the affirmation of women's will. Uh, that's uh, the third of the four. And finally, um, the other, uh, the affirmation of women's bonds with one another and their positive female heritage. Um, you know, uh, patriarchal religion does not promote a positive female heritage. You know, it's all about women should suffer because of Eve's sin. And um, as we've said in some of the past shows, I think it was in the Restoring Sisterhood uh, show, we talked about the importance of women's bonds. Uh, but unfortunately, patriarchy uses all sorts of um, uh, methods to divide women. And... Um, you know, we see that when women are divided, uh, patriarchy benefits. And, you know, we can just look to uh, what we were saying a minute ago. When women stick together, um, good things can happen, uh, like, uh, you know, coming out to fight against uh, losing uh, Roe v. Wade. And uh, I'm looking for uh, something I wanted to share with you uh, that was in... Rianne Eisler's book. I stumbled across it last night uh, at our book club uh, because Rianne mentions um, something very similar to um, 
what Carol said, and it's about uh, what happens to women. You know, it's about their self-worth, basically. You know, when women have the sacred feminine in their lives, when they have a uh, female deity that's sort of um, at their core, then they feel more competent. They feel um, as if, you know, they have a healthier self-image and self-worth. Yes, she says it here on page 67. Uh, In societies that conceptualize the supreme power in the universe as goddess, revered as wise and just source of all our material and spiritual gifts, women would tend to internalize a very different self-image. They would see themselves as competent, independent, and most certainly creative and inventive. Uh, There is growing evidence of the participation and leadership of women and the development and administration of the material and non-material technologies upon which the dominator order was later superimposed. Anyway, you know, the point is, you know, women have a different self-image. They value themselves. They have more self-worth when they've uh, grown up with the idea of a feminine face of God. They don't submit uh, to male authority because by virtue of a male God, um, men have put themselves in authority. And um, unfortunately, women have been conditioned to obey that authority. So we're going to be talking about stuff like this in the next uh, few weeks as we um, go over those four reasons, uh, Carol Crisp said, women might return to the idea of goddess. And you know what? I am not saying that if you're an agnostic or an atheist, you have to believe that there's a goddess up in the heaven that you can pray to and, you know, who cares about you and who will intercede in your life. You don't have to believe that. Uh, But think about the idea of the sacred feminine, uh, not just as a deity, but as uh, an archetype or role model or values and ideals, uh, because that's really important, too, uh, because the values and ideals that um, uh, a society would embrace with a feminine face of God are much different than with these dominator war gods uh, of patriarchy. Um, Also, too, you know, goddess provides role models for women. And uh, sometimes these role models uh, are nothing that patriarchy would want women to have because, uh, you know, we would be challenging them rather than patriarchal religion that teaches us to submit to male authority. And um, I don't know, I think this now might be a good time to share this quote with you. It's a quote from uh, Monique Wittig. Um, she sort of captured the flavor of uh, affirming female power when um, she wrote this quote, which I really love. And I'd almost forgotten about it till I came across it recently. She said, there was a time when you were not a slave. Remember that. You walked alone, full of laughter. You bathed bare-bellied. You say you have lost all recollection of it. Remember. You say there are not words to describe it. You say it does not exist. But remember. Make an effort to remember. Or failing that, invent. You know what? Invent. We might not remember when it was like this, 
you know, in the Neolithic and the times before patriarchy, but that doesn't mean we can't bring it back. We can reinvent it. Okay. Um, so, that said, um, I'd like some input from you folks out there listening to the show. And it doesn't matter if I get this from you weeks from now, if you don't listen to the show in the next few days. Um, I'm always open to your feedback. I'd like to hear from you about headlines and articles. Um, you know, in the, since the show's been back, I've been sharing some articles, and sometimes I just uh, share the headlines that I think you might be interested in or I believe it's important for you to know. And uh, I want to know if you enjoy uh, hearing the, the headlines that, uh, that themselves tell a story or would you rather I actually read excerpts uh, from the important articles. Um, with headlines, I can offer maybe half a dozen interesting happenings that uh, you might not know about. Or if I share most of an article, well, you know, I might have to limit it to uh, one or two. And um, are you interested in calling into the show and maybe talking with my guests? Uh, my experience has been people listen from the archives uh, at their convenience. Uh, that's how it used to be in the past. So I didn't really take callers. Uh, but things may be different now. So I'm just sort of testing the waters. Um, let me hear from you on that uh, as well. And um, in the coming weeks, uh, we have the following guests during the month of March. Uh, next week, March 8th, uh, Janet Rudolph is with me discussing her new autobiography, Desperately Seeking Persephone, uh, really cool title. And our topic is going to be, you know, an honest conversation about um, when you survive abuse, uh, there are gifts that come with it, but you know what? There's also pitfalls. So, uh, you know, we like to stay real here on this show. Uh, March 15th, Julia Paulette Hollenberry is uh, here with me. She's an expert in happiness, joy, and relationships. And we're going to be talking to her about her book, The Healing Power of Pleasure. Um, you know, kind of interesting. We sort of touched on that today with joy and gratitude. Uh, but she says that there are specifically seven medicines for rediscovering joy. So um, I think that will be a fun conversation. Uh, March 22nd, uh, Reverend Mary Gelfand is with me. She's an interfaith minister, Wiccan high priestess, and she's a wonderful contributor to the, the feminism and religion blog I reference often. We're going to discuss uh, her two essays about the scars of the body and soul. And on the 29th, uh, it is my honor and pleasure to have returning to the show the famous heretical priest. I'm sure he wears that label like a badge of honor. Father Matthew Fox is uh, going to be back with me, um, and you can also find him in the archives. We're going to be discussing uh, creation spirituality, which he has taught for a uh, long, long time. Uh, Matthew has actually done me the honor of writing the foreword for my new book, Normalizing Abuse, uh, available on Amazon. Uh, we've always had stimulating conversations, and uh, uh, as I said, you can find several of those in the archives. Um, and he's made it into my archived wisdom section of my new website, uh, which um, uh, you can visit at uh, KarenTate.net. Uh, there are some sections of it I haven't finished completing yet, but you can get to the archived wisdom section and hear some of Matthew's uh, old interviews as well. 
Um, so I hope you'll go there and check it out, uh, my Tools for Transformation website uh, at KarenTate.net. I have travel stories there, articles I've written, links to talks I've given, classes I've given, meditations, inspirational messages. Uh, and again, if you see a mistake, give me a shout out. I have not let perfection stand in the way of progress. <laughs> Um, if you're in Southern Oregon or Northern California, we have some uh, events coming up in March. Uh, March 11th is the Enlightened Living Fair. Uh, I'm going to have a table there with some other goddess advocates. I'm also giving a talk about goddess at noon. That's on Saturday, March 11th. Uh, March 15th, uh, we have a meet and greet. Uh, it's called uh, All Things Goddess Meet and Greet in Grants Pass. Uh, you can find out more about that on my Facebook page, and uh, soon it will be up on my website as well. March 25th uh, is the Mount Shasta Goddess Temple. Um, symposium, the Cosmogenetric Symposium. The theme is Lionheart, and this can be attended virtually. You don't have to be in Mount Shasta. Uh, reach out to me or check my Facebook page for details. Uh, I'm actually giving a talk, probably virtually, about the lion-headed Egyptian goddess Sekhmet uh, on March 25th there at the Cosmogenetric Symposium. And I almost forgot... Um, you know, I am not on the California coast anymore doing the ISIS Navigatum when we launched ice boats onto the waves of the ocean, but I am here in southern Oregon, surrounded by lots of rivers, and on March 20th, um, we are continuing the tradition, and we are having the Isis Navigatum on the river, and uh, if you're interested in that, uh, contact me. Uh, at this point, it's by private invitation only, uh, but uh, I welcome those who are interested in taking part in this recreation of an ancient celebration of Isis. It ties nicely into spring equinox. Uh, we'll be asking Isis to bless our, um, our heart's desires uh, for the coming year. So um, that about does it for me for today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, please tell your friends and share the word. Karen Tate is back, as is her radio show. And uh, my work is where spirituality, personal transformation, and social justice meet. And um, to close the show, I want to uh, say just something about empathy and uh, share a quote with you. You know, the esteemed author and researcher, uh, Brene Brown, said, empathy fuels connection. And um, in a world that's deeply divided, those who are able to practice empathy has an ability to make positive difference on a large and small scale. So I'm just going to share a couple quotes uh, about empathy with you. Uh, and leave you with that as food for thought. Um, Nelson Mandela said, if you talk to a man in a language he understands, that goes to his head. If you talk to him in a language that goes to his heart. Um, if you I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. If you talk to a man in a language he understands, that goes to his head. But if you talk to him in his language, that goes to his heart. He also said, may your choices reflect your hopes and not your fears. 
uh, Maya Angelou said about empathy, each one of us has lived through some devastation, some loneliness, some weather superstorm, some spiritual superstorm. Uh, when we look at each other, we must say, I understand. I understand how you feel because I have been there myself. We must support each other and empathize with each other because each of us is more alike than we are unalike. So uh, with spring upon us, uh, let me say, goddess bringing spring to us once again, we allow ourselves space in your fresh breath of air for something new to be born in our lives now. We are so grateful for this gift. Blessed be. And we'll close with uh, a tribute and homage to uh, Sekhmet, uh, the lion-headed uh, Egyptian goddess, who uh, is about courage, strength, uh, tells women to say no without guilt, and encourage them to uh, create healthy boundaries so that they're not abused and exploited. Sa Sekhem Sahu Sekhmet. <laughs> 